Colossians 3.17 to 4.1. It will also be up on the screen. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favouritism. Masters, Provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Is that coming through okay? Oh, there we go. Ah, excellent. Well, uh, great to be here again. Um, and I'm just preaching this morning, which is lovely. Uh, it's uh, fantastic to uh, see you all again this morning. Uh, let me pray too before we start. We've already prayed. Can't pray enough. Um, let's pray together. Our, our gracious God and Heavenly Father, you have caused all these things to be written for our good. Uh, you have revealed your wonderful gospel in your word. Father, please give us now... Uh, the ability to hear your word rightly, to understand it, to uh, let it sink deeply into our hearts and transform our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you may have seen, I'm assuming many of us have, we just get the volume down a little on my, um, uh, just, a, just a touch. Uh, you may have seen, I, I assume many of us have, you have, probably have seen the iconic Aussie movie, The Castle, right? Yeah, uh, every, yeah everyone's, a lot, of, a lot of us have seen it. It's the classic David and Goliath story, right, of the man uh, who was fighting for his home against uh, government, corporation, big business, who's tr- who want to bulldoze it down. And, and you know the story, it goes all the way to the, is it the Supreme Court or something like that, um, the High Court. Do we have a Supreme? Yeah, okay. I don't know very much about these things, but they, it goes all the way to the Supreme Court. And the, the key idea, and where the title of the movie comes from, the castle. You know, the key idea uh, is that you heard this phrase, perhaps: "A man's home is his castle." A man's home is his castle. Uh, maybe twenty years on, we twenty years. Do you know? Almost, almost twenty years. Wow, 1997 it was made. Can you believe it? But perhaps 20 years on, we changed a little bit and we'd say a person's home is their castle, make it a bit more gender neutral, but the idea is the same, right? The idea is the same. There are, there are other parts of my life that are out of my control. <laughs> I can't have much to do with. They're out of my control. But my family, my home... Well, that is sacred. 
and no one, <laughs> no one but no one can touch it. A man's home, a person's home is their castle. I wonder, I wonder if you've ever felt this way about your family, this, this kind of uh, segmenting it off from the rest of life. And in many ways it seems to me this is a good thing. Um, it's all too easy, isn't it, for our families to get swamped <laughs> in the mess of life, to get left behind, and the, the sort of tender and fierce commitment to family life that's on view in movies like The Castle is a bit of a, a welcome relief, isn't it? Uh, but we can, we can partition life uh, into different castles, <laughs> not only our homes, not just our families. Uh, maybe our workplaces might be a ca- our castle for us or uh, our, our safe space, that area that we feel competent in and we can kick our shoes off and sort of be ourselves. Uh, maybe for you it's your sport, maybe it's your sporting team, uh, maybe it's your garden, maybe it's your friendships. Uh, I'm not sure what it might be for you, but the, that part of my life that I build a, build a wall around, I stake my claim in and I say, mine, <laughs> mine, don't touch it. Well, over the past weeks, if you've been with us, we, we've been reading through this incredible ancient letter uh, of one of the first Christian leaders, Paul, to this small little church, this gathering of uh, Jesus' followers in a place called Colossae, gathered together actually in someone's home. Isn't that interesting? In someone's home, gathered together to hear this letter read out to them. It's been incredible. I hope you found it a really uplifting sort of journey. I certainly have. Um, it's told... If you've been with us, you'll know the sort of journey that we've been through. The letter so far has told how something incredible, something huge has happened to this small, uh, bizarre, unimpressive little group of people squashed into someone's living room, if you remember that. Uh, Something incredible has happened to them. They had heard a message. They had heard a message of the gospel, uh, they'd believed it, they'd put their trust in it. This message, if you remember, is all about Jesus, uh, all about how he is the Lord of all creation. He is, in his death and resurrection, he is risen to be the Lord of a new creation. Uh, out, of, out of his great love, he gave himself up to die uh, for his people so that they might uh, stop being his enemies and start being his friends, might be reconciled to God. He rose as Lord of a new creation. And last week, if you're with us, we saw how what happened to Jesus, this incredible gospel that they heard and accepted and believed that he had died and risen again, how it transformed their relationships with with each other. We saw how being connected to Jesus through trusting our life to him through our faith uh, connected us to him in such a powerful way that it could be... That's true for Paul to say that we have ourselves have died and we have been raised again. We have died and been raised with Christ. And we have a whole new identity, a new person has begun through our faith in Christ. Uh, we saw that last week we have been raised with Christ. Christ now is our life and it transforms who, who we are here and now. This isn't just pie in the sky when you die. Uh, this is an incredible reality that transforms 
our relationships right here and now in the presence. Uh, Paul, last week we saw, uses this image of clothing to put on this new self, the, the ways of relating that match up to the new identity we have, this new person. There are new clothes that match this new person that we already are in Christ. So we talk, saw last week these wonderful description of this new clothing, this new uh, ways of relating, compassion, kindness, humility, forgiveness, love. And we, we started with this verse today and we ended with it last week. Uh, he sums it all up in verse 17. If you've got your Bibles hand, open, that'll be handy as we go through. But verse 17, he says, Whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. And it's at this point, it's at this point that Paul does something remarkable. He does something quite incredible. See, up till now, uh, he's pressed home to the Colossians how living in Jesus, living connected to Jesus, it should transform the way that we relate to each other in him. But he doesn't leave it there. <laughs> it transforms the way that people in the church, people in his body relate to each other. He doesn't leave it there, though. The gospel, if it's true, for Paul, it, it sinks right down into the cracks of life, you know, right into the fabric of life, the warp and woof um, of our life, the, fab- the deepest parts of who we are. Whatever you do, Paul says, and for Jesus' people, friends, There is no castle in our lives that Jesus is not the Lord of. Okay? There is no castle in our lives that Jesus is not the Lord of. And but friends, if if there is one person that we would want to be the Lord of our castles, wouldn't it be him? (laughs) Wouldn't it wouldn't it be Jesus? Uh, Isn't he an infinitely better Lord? than I am, than you are, given who he is and what he has done. Doesn't it make sense to trust him, to trust that life under his lordship is not just, it's not just right, but good. Living under his lordship isn't just something to sort of grudgingly accept, but to embrace and delight in and relish. There is no castle for Christ's people that he is not king of. Uh, We are going to get into the details of what Paul says about this most sacred of castles that we construct for ourselves, our family. We'll spend most time there. We'll also think about what Paul says to slaves and masters. Uh, It's important. uh, But what we're going to try and do is see the underlying reality, the underlying reality in which these... Uh, instructions make sense. This this way of viewing our relationships, this underlying reality uh, that is key to seeing how it all works out. But before we get there, uh, it's important to acknowledge that for some of us, uh, this may be hard to hear. Particularly, uh, it's important uh, to consider this in today's climate. It seems to me, today's sort of society and our culture. Uh, this passage presents a view of life, particularly of family life, that is increasingly not just rejected but hated by the culture around us uh, for many people. And maybe, I don't want to assume anything actually, maybe for you, um, 
for someone to hold this sort of view, is, it's not just quaint and old-fashioned, <laughs> but is bigoted and actually evil. Uh, there are a number of reasons, I think, why perhaps this may be hard for us, uh, hard for us to hear. Uh, there's a couple of uh, cultural reasons, and I think it's just helpful for us to see this uh, before we head into the passage itself. Uh, in our culture, we just have we have a deeply ingrained uh, culture of suspicion. We have a deeply ingrained culture of suspicion, particularly when it comes to any kind of external authority or order or power, okay, that might get imposed on us. Uh, the last 150 years or so, there's been a long line of very influential thinkers who have taught us to see that any difference in order or, or relationship or power is in itself a threat. Uh, any order or authority is actually uh, something that's designed to exploit and to gain power over other people. Uh, long line of thinkers who have taught us that, and sort of connected to that, connected to that, it seems to me that there's also this assumption uh, that being a fulfilled person, being a, being a uh, fulfilled and happy person, is found in throwing off external constraints, okay? Throwing off anything from outside that might seek to impose any kind of order or structure or authority. Uh, the ultimate goal in this view is self-discovery, the freedom to kind of define myself apart from anything anyone else might say, uh, apart from any tradition or institution, especially apart from God. Uh, this idea of what it means to be a fulfilled self. Well, uh, I hope, I hope that today we'll get a glimpse of how the gospel gives us a better story, friends, a, better, a much better story, a much more... It gives us the story of the most powerful one who used his power to love. <laughs> the most powerful one who gave up himself and his rights in order to love and redeem and save and bring forgiveness. The Lord who died for his people. It gives us a story, the Gospel tells us a story in which freedom and fulfilment is actually found in serving him, is found in serving him. Okay, there's, there's a couple of cultural reasons, I think, in our particular time that this is a hard word to hear, but uh, there's other deeper reasons, I think, for some of us, and it just is connected to the reality that this is a really deeply personal issue, isn't it? It's a very deep and personal issue. All of us bear scars of family dysfunction. There's no such thing as a perfectly functional family, <laughs> okay? Um, but some of us experience that brokenness and dysfunc dysfunction to a higher degree than others. And uh, we may have been hurt by others. We ourselves may have hurt others. So just to talk about families uh, means that we're treading on painful ground for some, and I just want to acknowledge that. Um, if there are issues that are raised for you today that need addressing, I'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, whether seeking he healing for hurts done to you in the past or seeking forgiveness and repentance for hurts you have done to the past, in the past. But having said all of that, friends, it, there are reasons why this is a, potentially a hard word for some of us to hear, but having said that, 
Uh, Jesus, Jesus is the world's good and true Lord. <laughs> he is the world's good and true Lord, and the Bible is his good and life-giving word. It's important that we hear it carefully, both for what it says to us and for what it doesn't say. And we're going to try to do that today. I hope you are ready to go in. It's a longer introduction than normal, but I just think, particularly for an issue like this, it's worth sort of uh, addressing some of those things. But uh, if you do have your Bibles open, that'll be helpful. There's also a bit of an outline in your handouts. Uh, what is this filtering down of the gospel into the, the very most intimate parts of our life? What does it mean for, for every castle of our life to have Jesus as its king and not me? Uh, well, Paul talks about, he sort of looks at two different spheres of life which back when he was writing were, were merged. They were distinct, but they were sort of uh, merged a little bit. Um, wives, husbands, children's fathers, the family sphere. And then he talks about slaves and masters. But firstly, living in the Lord, living in the Lord, uh, verses 18 to 21. I'll, I want to read those out again and then we'll just want to pull out a few things from that for us. Verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Just a few general um, observations that might help us to understand what Paul's saying here and think about how it applies for us. For us. Just firstly, did you notice how brief this is? <laughs> how, how short it is? Um, it's a bit of a contrast to so much family literature. I remember you know, when we started having kids, it's just, you, know, you, you end up with rows and rows and rows of books about how to be a good parent and uh, how to, uh, when you get married you might have the same or anything like that. But it is interesting, isn't it, uh, that this is so brief, <laughs> that it is so short. Uh, it seems to me wise for us to be wary of elevating something to the status of uh, infallible Christian practice, okay, delivered by God, which is, in the end, just one fallible person's wisdom. You know, it's just one per- So uh, much damage, I think, can be done by well-intentioned Christian people who can raise one model of family life up to the only way to do it, <laughs> as uh, the only option for a good Christian parent okay, or a, a Christian marriage. Uh, it is important for us to recognise that Paul is brief here and as helpful as other things might be, uh, I think that's helpful for us to really listen up for these things, really pay attention to these as helpful as some of those other ideas and ways of thinking about family life might be. Okay, it's brief, so let's listen up. Basically, that's what I'm trying to say. Um, the second thing is, uh, and this is, I didn't see this before uh, starting to look at this passage for today. It's really, I think, quite incredible how Paul directly addresses each person in the family. It is remarkable, actually, especially in the culture in which Paul was writing this, okay, in which the father was king, okay, he was the king of the castle. That's sort of where the saying actually originates from, if you trace it back. 
uh, this idea of uh, a man's home is his castle back in ancient Rome. It really was. Uh, he, he was absolutely sovereign and you wouldn't, you, I mean, you wouldn't directly address uh, his wife or his children in a situation like this. You'd, you'd talk to him. But Paul directly addresses each person. Um, it's sort of, uh, it, it's a wonderful um, contrast to what psychologists today might call re- relational fusion <laughs> uh, or what I think the gospel gives us a much richer term, a way to understand it, which is idolatry. That is, being so fused with another person, uh, investing all your hopes and your identity in them, that in the end your worship is placed in them and you seek to control them and not give them space to be their own person at all. And for here, Paul, for Paul, each member, he addresses each member directly, uh, and each member is treated uh, with their own integrity equally. He doesn't say, husbands, this is so important, okay, he doesn't say, husbands, make sure your wives submit to you. He doesn't say, parents, make sure your children obey you. Each person has their distinct way of relating in the family uh, and that difference is good. They are different in role but they are stunningly equal in the Lord. Even the kids, they're not patronised. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? They're not patronised. I don't want to patronise you kids who are there. You're, you're right, scribbling down furiously. Well done. Uh, but Paul, the God in his word, speaks directly to you, as we heard earlier. Having your own responsibility in this family dynamic. It's freely given, and it's freely given for the Lord's sake. Each member of the family has their own relationship to the Lord. Do you notice that? The children's obedience is because it, not, not for the parents' sake, because it pleases the Lord. It's the same, Paul says, with a wife's submission, not for the husband's sake, but because it's fitting in the Lord. It treats each of us with dignity, which uh, is scary, friends. We're so good, uh, so good at this, uh, seeing someone else's faults and not my own. You know, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm sure no one else is like this. But um, I'm much more troubled, much more troubled by my kids' disobedience than I am by my selfish thoughtlessness at them. I sort of just excuse that. I'm just, I'm tired, I've had a long day. Okay, that's just a little thing. Okay, I'm much, but that, that little sniping comment or that harsh word, you know, uh, that's, that's a little thing. But children should obey their parents. <laughs> Do you see what I'm getting at? We are so good at locating the problem in someone else. What Paul does here is uh, directly address each member of the family and say, take responsibility for what you bring in this relational system in this in this reality that is brought into being in your family okay a few thoughts i I think are helpful when we um, think through this but let's work through now it's it's, i want to show you uh, just a few things about the individual responsibilities uh, that paul has in view here the ways in which uh, they are to relate you see um, there is this incredible Equality, each person under the Lord. Uh, but Paul absolutely sees that in that equality there is a wonderful complementarity, a wonderful differentiation, a difference in the way that each member of this family operates. 
And for Paul, this is a, a good and life-giving thing. First thing he says is, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Uh, literally, this word submit, it just means, it means to order yourself under. Order yourself under um, your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. It's, it's an image of willingly uh, entrusting yourself into their care. Order yourselves under your husband. Uh, submission, it is worth saying, is a very Christian thing, a way to be. It is a very Christian way to be. It is who God is, the Son submitting to the Father in the joy of the spirits. It doesn't in any way diminish his, uh, his status as the Son of God. It is who Jesus' people are. Um, we are to submit to each other, Paul says in another letter. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, but here, there is for Paul a place for a wife to pay particular attention uh, to the way she orders herself under her husband. What then does this submission look like? Um, what does it look like? Well, I don't think it has much to do with who takes out the trash or who cooks. Uh, there is a, a large amount of freedom in Christian families for that, all of that sort of stuff to be figured out. And uh, just because we're in danger of... Uh, uh, just like we're in danger of sort of not hearing this because of all those cultural assumptions we talked about earlier, remember the, the, the stuff at the start, I think we're also in danger of another um, sort of... Uh, error, which is importing, essentially importing what uh, a kind of 1950s assumption about family life into here as well. And we mustn't do that either. We need to hear God's word for what it says, not for what our assumptions bring. So I I'm not sure it's about who takes out the trash, but what does submission look like? It's not, it's not a cookie cutter image. Uh, I think a helpful way for us as we read through this passage and a helpful sort of exercise whenever you read scripture is just to, to read around it to see what it might look like in its context, okay? what, it's, what Paul's, Paul's saying around it. You, you can't separate the wife's role here as ordering herself under her husband uh, from uh, the husband's role as well. You need to understand them both. I'm um, a, a terrible dancer. Okay, before I moved to South Australia, I was a terrible dancer. Um, it's, I'm still terrible. Okay, um, but it's sort of so I understand. If I was a dancer, uh, it's sort of a little bit like a dance. Okay, you uh, two people joyfully embracing each other's complementarity, <laughs> difference, inequality in a in a, in a dance. Joyfully embracing God's good design for the marriage relationship. Equal, but not interchangeable. Not interchangeable. <laughs> uh, a wife's submission then, I think, uh, he, well, that's on view, is her willing ordering, her, her willing sort of ordering of herself under... Uh, what, it, what it has to do is it has to do with uh, the reference to her dance partner's role, to the character of his headship 
under which a wife is to order herself. Oh, that, that might be a bit convoluted. Um, you need to understand what Paul's saying to husbands here to understand what it is the wife is to submit herself under. And that role, the husband's role in this dance, is fundamentally one of love. Order yourselves under your husband's love and care. Receive his attempts to love you, no matter how bumbling they are, okay, and imperfect. Uh, receive them gratefully. Wives, uh, order yourself under his love for you. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, Paul says. And again, remembering that that is not a word for husbands, okay? <laughs> this is a word for wives uh, in that remarkable um, investing of each member of the family with their own integrity before the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Do not be harsh with them. Husbands, it is your solemn and God-given responsibility to love your wives, to orient yourself for her good. Uh, in Ephesians 5, a sort of partner passage here, uh, you see the picture, Paul says, uh, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Your headship, what your wife is to order herself under, is your deep self-sacrificial love that dies to self for the sake of your precious wife. Uh, Paul says, don't be harsh. Uh, there's a whole range of uh, ways that that could happen and it is, uh, I'm very thankful for the, the light that has been shed recently on domestic violence, uh, the Australian of the Year, I think last year was it, or this year, Rosie Batty has uh, done great work in sort of bringing that to light. Um, there's a whole range of ways and I'm not, I, it's not the place to sort of go delve into that here and I reiterate what I said before. Uh, really love to talk to you if this uh, at another time if this raises issues uh, for you. But husbands, uh, it can be a physical thing. This harshness, it doesn't have to be, does it? One of the most common ways for husbands to be harsh with their wives is not actually physical at all. It's just uh, what, what they call stonewalling. You know, I don't know if you uh, uh, can uh, recognise this. You just switch off. You just don't engage. That is harshness, actually. Uh, and there is no place for it. There is no place for a kind of self-centred assertiveness, no place for violence of any kind. Well, this self-giving love is what wives are called to order themselves under. Interestingly, I think, and importantly, are not their husband's authority but under his love, under his love. Well, this is a dance that can go terribly wrong. We're all aware of that. Uh, our culture's response is to give up on the dance altogether or to redefine it so deeply that it's no longer what's on view here or maybe to try and subvert it. I don't know, you might have seen, the, there's another movie uh, uh, which you might have seen, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Have you seen this movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a classic line there. The mum says, husband may be head, but wife, and another line, she's the neck and she can turn the head wherever she wants. Okay? So it's funny. Uh, and, you know, don't want to make too big a deal out of a joke in a movie, but 
Uh, if your way of relating is essentially manipulative and subversive, uh, you are not ordering yourself under your husband's care. No. Uh, so our culture's response, I think, you know, we all either just ditch the dance altogether, redefine it uh, so that it's not recognisable to what is on view here, or we try and subvert it, but all of those responses, there's something right about them, right? I mean, they rightly reject uh, the, the abuse of this, this dance, uh, but they wrongly reject what is its good and right expression. When it's working, it is beautiful, and it is God's good design for husbands and wives. Okay, um, we need to move on. All of these things, I just feel like we're you know skimming the surface on. But uh, let's let's get move on. And uh, my hope with all of this, remember, is to see the underlying reality that Paul sees as making sense of all this. Uh, that Jesus is Lord of all our castles, and that shapes how we relate. Okay. Uh, uh, the next thing Paul says, children, obey your parents in in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Uh, Again, as I said before, this isn't actually primarily for the sake of the parents, for their own convenience, it's for the sake of the Lord. It's it's pleasing to him. Uh, Children on view here, the word uh, means dependent younger kids, okay? So it's not talking about adult children. And adult kids, there may be times when honouring our parents as an adult actually means not obeying them. There's nothing more dishonouring to a parent than a grown child who uh, can't think or act for themselves and lives under their parents' shadow in fear. But that's not what's in view here. Uh, It's not talking about grown children. Uh, It's talking about younger children dependents. He says, obey your parents in everything. Uh, I, I don't think Paul has in view here the sort of scenario that you sometimes hear that says, what about if your parents tell you to do something that's totally wrong? Are you supposed to obey them then? Uh, I don't think that's what's on view here. Paul's not saying uh, do something that is clearly against God's will. I think what he means is uh, in every part of your life, in every sphere and every aspect, don't section off one part of your life that you say, I'm not going to obey you, mum and dad, here. I'll obey you over here, but not over there. Paul says, no, 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 in, every, in everything, if you are under your parents' care, it is good, it pleases God to obey your parents. So kids, again, just, I know you're scribbling away furiously. Well done, that's great. Okay, bye kids. Uh, it pleases God when you obey your parents. It really does. It pleases him. Uh, it pleases him because God has given your parents the job of caring for you, and it helps them do that when you obey them. It helps them to do that. Okay, children, obey your parents. You can go back to your uh, activity packs. Um, Fathers, just last and quickly, fathers, don't embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. Uh, And you know what sort of, I mean, (laughs) you know what sort of things can do that, don't you? We, We sort of instinctively know that, I think, those sort of words or actions, or maybe it's the lack of words and actions that make our kids fearful uh, and timid and lacking in confidence towards us that put them down and don't encourage them in their growth. Uh, He says, don't do that. Don't embitter your children. Okay. Uh, The gospel shapes everything. Uh, Jesus' lordship, he is a good lord, and if you are under his lordship, 
It shapes the way you relate as families. Uh, Paul moves on now to, to, to think about not only family life, but this, this life of slave and master, which in, back in that sort of time was mixed up with family life, uh, but was a different thing. Every now and again you might hear someone say, uh, we don't have slaves and masters anymore, why should we have this other thing over here? Uh, it's an important point, we're not going to go into it deeply now, but enough to say that um, uh, there is a fundamental difference in the biblical view, in the world view of the Bible, in, uh, in Christian theology, uh, the, what the Bible teaches, between this realm of the, the family and the realm of slaves and masters. At this point, Paul's saying, you find yourselves in these different relationships. Here's how you live as a Christian in them. Here's how you live under Jesus in your families. And if you're a slave or if you're a master, uh, he's not critiquing the institutions themselves. But there's a fundamental difference uh, 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 marriage, uh, between marriage uh, or the family sort of structure we see here and slavery. Slavery itself is never endorsed in the New Testament. Uh, whereas marriage explicitly and uh, uh, obviously is as something that is given by God. Slavery is never endorsed. It's assumed as a reality of life, okay? That's just how the economy operated. Um, and so Paul is, is concerned for these people living in this situation. How do, how do they live as Christians? Uh, it, it is not condemned, though, either. So that's important uh, to, to say. Slavery isn't condemned either. It's assumed as a part of life. Um, however, having said that, slavery back then was very different to what we might have in our minds. When we think of slavery, we think of 18th, 19th century uh, African-American slave trade. <laughs> That's what's in our minds. Uh, a very different situation back then. Still not nice. Okay? I'm not saying it was a, it was a you know, uh, bed of roses or whatever it is. <laughs> uh, it's, it wasn't a nice situation to be in. But it's just important to recognise that we're not talking about the same thing with what was happening back there. Uh, the gospel shone its light on that 19th century slave trade and uh, Christian people were at the forefront of bringing it to its end. Um, but back in the first century, that's not what's in view here. Uh, Paul is concerned to say, how do you live in that environment? And it is remarkable, I think, it's this same dynamic that he brings to bear on the family. He says, Jesus is Lord, even in that part of your life. Uh, Jesus is your master, slaves. Jesus is your master, masters. He's your Lord. Uh, his lordship, if, we, if you read through, he, the fact that Jesus is Lord, it freed the slaves from fearing their earthly masters uh, and enabled them to work with all their hearts because they have Jesus as their good Lord. Uh, who, and and as if, you've, if we've read through Colossians, we'll know Jesus, what has Jesus done? He has brought the great freedom. He has brought the eternal freedom for all. Just last week we read, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free in Christ. He's not saying that, uh, not denying the, reality here and now of those things but in Christ they are free they are free and masters not only are slaves free but masters uh, have in Jesus uh, Jesus constrains masters he frees slaves he constrains masters 
and both of which come from the fact that Jesus is their Lord. We're not going to go into uh, great detail into that, but it's the same dynamic. Well, uh, uh, friends, I don't know how you react to this view of life. My hope is that wherever we're at, wherever, um, uh, whether we're Christian people or not, that we have had a glimpse of the reality that sits underneath this understanding, this way of seeing family life, of seeing slaves and masters, which I think may have some relationship to your work life. And again, we don't have time to sort of nut that out. Um, but the reality underneath it all is Jesus. In Jesus, submission is normal. <laughs> In Jesus, submission is normal. Love is normal. Obedience is normal. Freedom is normal. Sincerity of heart is normal. Using authority to provide and to treat justly is normal because it was it wasn't normal. It's because if we're in Jesus, we have all of those things perfectly. We have all of those things in Christ. We have a new life with a new Lord. He frees us to live in our relationships in a new way, not out of fear, not fused with each other, idolizing each other, but shaped by our Lord Jesus relating to each other out of reverence for him, who in his great love submitted himself to his Father. Uh, it is a beautiful and breathtaking vision of life, I think, because Jesus is a beautiful and breathtaking Lord. Friends, there's so much debate and confusion and change around these issues. Uh, and we need to grasp hold Christian people grasp hold of God's good design God's good design uh, you won't be convinced however uh, it's not the place to, you're not going to be convinced that this design is good unless you know that the Lord who gives it is good okay you won't be convinced that this design is good unless you know that the Lord who gives this design is good. So that's the place to start. If you don't know Jesus as your good Lord, uh, don't start thinking about necessarily these things. Start with, start with him. He's the reality that undergirds it. And this would be a great place to stick around uh, to get to know him better. But friends, if you do know him as your Lord, particularly in our current culture environment, uh, what a powerful witness it would be to live in this way. I know that the specifics uh, of what's on view here don't apply to everyone, and not everyone is in the, the circumstances that Paul envisages here, uh, but the, the reality is the same for us all. Jesus is Lord of all our castles. It might not be for you uh, this particular configuration of family life, but he is still your good Lord. And can you imagine the witness... It would be for us to live joyfully and willingly and freely in this way. A witness to how Jesus sort of, he, he joins up every part of life. I've called the sermon a joined up life. Uh, Jesus joins up every part of life in a good and life-giving way. Let's, let's pray as we finish up. Our gracious God, um,
Lord, please uh, convict each of us in our hearts of your goodness. Lord, we pray that today you will help us to see freshly and once again uh, how much you love us. Uh, Lord Jesus, how you submitted yourself to your Father's will, uh, even to the point of death, out of your great love for us. Uh, Father, having been gripped by the knowledge of your goodness and your love, I pray that we will joyfully receive this vision of life in Christ for our families, uh, for maybe even our workplaces, for any, any other aspect of our life that we're tempted to put a wall around and claim as our own. Lord, we pray that uh, you will exercise your good and loving lordship over all of it. I pray particularly, for, though, for, uh, for families, uh, husbands and wives, children and parents, among us, Lord, may we uh, see the beauty of this, um, uh, what's on view here. May we, in your strength, uh, put these things into practice. And we pray that that will be pleasing in your sight and a great and wonderful witness to the world. And we pray all this for Jesus' sake. Amen.